This morning we are going to finish, um, well, finish. It'll be our last sermon in the book of Acts in 2022. Next week, Jordan Washington will begin our Advent series, Light into Darkness, by looking at how Jesus is the hope, how he brings hope into a hopeless world. Um, but for now, we're going to be looking at the last section of Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 28. Now, let me give you a little bit of context for those of you that are unfamiliar with what's going on in the story of the book of Acts. The apostle Paul has, has gone on his first missionary journey. He'd been called by God to go to Gentiles to establish churches all throughout Asia Minor, what we know today as Turkey and Greece and uh, uh, Crete. So he's going to all these different places, and he's sharing the gospel. Now, he had just gone to this city called Lystra, and they thought him to be Hermes and Barnabas, his uh, companion, to be Zeus, because they brought healing to a man who was born lame. They stopped them, Paul and Barnabas, stopped them from making sacrifices to them in their honor, saying, we are not gods, we are men just like you. And so where we get to in verse 19 is the, pretty much the next thing that happens to them in Lystra. And this is the very end of Paul's first missionary journey. You'll see it as we conclude this text. They go right back to where they were when, when their first missionary journey began, which is to the city of Antioch. So this is the context from which we're going to be reading today. It's the end of Paul's first missionary journeys. So here the reading of God's word. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened up a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. I got a question for you. Why bother with church? Why bother with church? I mean, isn't it tempting to have another day of the week where you get to sleep in? Or to just let your kids watch TV while you sip on your coffee and scroll through social media. I mean, if you get up for church, you have to get the kids up earlier. And then you get worked into a frenzy so that you can get to church at a reasonable time. Like, forget 10 o'clock. Like, 10.05, 10.15, just a reasonable time. But of course, in that case, your kids are screaming because they don't like the clothes they're wearing. Your hair is not laying the way you want it because, God forbid, you look like you just rolled about out of bed coming to church. So the question is, why bother with church? Is it really worth the hassle? Some of you might want a standing tea time with a group of friends or spending time at brunch with, at a hot new restaurant in town. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to spend a day 
Unlike the other days where work appointments, administrative tasks, and perhaps taking kids from one sporting event to one extracurricular activity after another, wouldn't it be nice to just rest and recuperate rather than go to church? I mean, why bother with church? Is it worth the hassle? Is it worth the time, the energy? Is it worth missing out on a bunch, a brunch or a tea time? Is it really So the question is, is church worth it? Why bother? You know, many in this country are increasingly concluding that church is not worth it. Throughout our country and our state, more and more people are saying to themselves, church, no thanks. I'll take that brunch invitation. My guess is many of you might be tempted by this, but most of you being here in church on a Sunday morning, you are not tempted by this. So why am I bringing this up? Because even people who go through the motions of church and go through the hassle, even you might not have an understanding of why you bother with church. So the question is, church, why bother? What would the Apostle Paul say to such a question? What would he say to a people who say, you know what, I think I'll take that tea time, or I think I'll go to that brunch rather than spend time with God and his people? I think Paul, his response would be, listen, it's worth the hassle. It's worth the energy. It's worth what you think of as poor music or, or poor preaching. It's worth every bit of it. And you need to press it down deep into your life. The boring sermons, the less than professional music, whatever you want to call it, the lack of light show, whatever it might be, put it in your body and press it deep down into you. Now, why do I say that? Consider what Paul endured on his first missionary journey. We find him in Acts 14 stoned, left for dead. I mean, they dragged his body out of the city of Lystra because they thought he was gone. And then the disciples gather around him and he gets up. But what does he do when he gets up? Does he go back to where he started, Antioch, and they just say, this is not worth my life? No. He gathers himself and the next day goes to a nearby city called Derby, and starts to preach again. But then notice what this text does. Where does he go? Where does the text say he goes? You know where he goes? And you don't know this because you didn't read it. He goes right back to Lystra, where he had been stoned. He goes right back to Iconium where he'd been chased out of the city because they had threatened to stone him there. He goes right back to Antioch of Pisidia because they wanted to do the same thing to him there. In the place of great danger, he says, I'm going back. And look at what he does in those places. He strengthens and encourages the people that had become disciples there. And then he appoints elders. He says this, the church is worth it. Put it deep into your body. Because without it, you will wither away and die. Your faith will become nothing. So the question for us today is church, why bother? Well, we bother with church because our life is on the line. That's what Paul reminds us with his teaching. And all I want to do is I want to press into verses 22 and 23 that you might grow in your appreciation for why church is worth the bother. 
And there's really just two reasons. There's two reasons why church is worth the bother. And what we get, we get this straight from what Paul does in these churches after he marches back into these cities. I think the church is worth the bother. It's worth because we need support. We as Christians need support. We need support. But secondly, the church is worth the hassle because we need protection. Paul's actions teach us this, that we need support and we need protection. Let's study this a little bit, fleshing this out that we might grow in our appreciation and love for the church and grow to become intimately connected to this, okay? So first, we need the church because we need support. You know, when Paul dramatically walks back into these cities, I want you to see just how dramatic this would be. I mean, it's incredible. He entered these cities strengthening the souls of these disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In these two small phrases, I think it captures what Paul was trying to do in his time in these cities. Give them strength and give them encouragement. And I think what he's trying to do, he's trying to support them. And what I think the church, what he, what he shows us here is that the, the church supports us in at least three ways. At least three ways, if not more. But I'm just going to focus on three. That we need support physically. We need support physically. Look, if there's anyone that understands that they needed physical support, it's Paul. Especially in Lystra. The last time Paul was in Lystra, he was left for dead on the outskirts of the city. And there his disciples were around him, and I presume that they cared for him with the gashes that were on his head from the stones that hit just above his eye, that they took bandages and pressed them on that, that they gave him water when he couldn't even lift up his arm because the stone had hit his elbow where he couldn't move it. He needed physical support, and the disciples are there caring for him. I mean, this is what the church does. It cares for the physical needs of those who are down, who are hurt. This is what the church does. Let me ask you a question. Are you so secure in your physical body that you don't need support? That you don't need the person to your right or to your left? The reality of, of many of us in this room, not all in this room, the many, reality of many of us in this room is that this is who we got. We don't have family here. I mean, my family's in Florida and in Georgia. I mean, if something goes down, guess who I'm relying on? You. I need you. And you need each other. And this is what the, the church does. We physically support each other. Now, I love the way that Central Hope does this right now. I mean, this week, we, we, one of our very own, Jen Morsh, she got sick. And Jessica Robbie took her to the doctor. And then... When the doctor appointment ended, the Buchanans came and they took her and they said, what's going on? Realizing that she physically wasn't doing good. And they said, to me, they called me and they said, hey, Dan, will you pick up Ellie, our daughter, because we're taking Jen to the hospital. And they took her to the hospital, caring for her physical needs. Now, as I prayed and as I let you know, she's still in the hospital and we're praying that God brings her healing. But, but I want you to see this. What would have Jen have done? if it weren't for the people in this church. She's blind. She can't drive. She didn't have the strength to even call. Like it was, it, I mean, like, it, 
She was down and out, and the church surrounded her and took care of her. Now, thankfully, her, her family has come, and they're part, and they're rallying around her. This is a beautiful thing. But the church, you've done an amazing job of caring for her. And we're going to have to care for her in the coming weeks and care for the things. But this is what we do because the church needs the support physically. Paul knew it. He needed it. They supplied it. And walking back into Lystra, he's a demonstration of the physical support that they lent to him. The church needs physical support. But this is just one area. The second way we need support is emotionally. Emotionally. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of someone who was convinced of Paul's message of Jesus while living in Lystra. This is a Gentile community, but you, you, you saw Paul, you, imagine yourself, you see Paul heal, then you hear him preach and you go, you know, this message about Jesus is fascinating. And then you believe. And then the next day you see Paul dragged into the center of the city and stoned. What's going through your mind? If this was happened to a man who believes in this, what's gonna happen to me? And the emotional insecurity that could come right at that moment is quite profound, don't you think? How willing are you going to be to say, hey, I follow him too? Likely, you're, you're not. And likely the people who also profess faith, they're not either. And there's going to be this, this, this sense in which you need this emotional support. But here, I try to put myself again into this person's shoes when they see Paul come right back to Lystra after he'd been stoned. What do you think it would communicate to you if you see a person who'd been stoned by your fellow citizens walk right back into the city? Wouldn't it be wind in your sails? Wouldn't it be such that, you know what? Maybe what he was telling me is true about Jesus. Maybe my sins really are forgiven. Maybe Jesus really has risen from the grave. And the emotional support of watching Paul come back in would be profound. I mean, he was like the undertaker in WWE coming back from life to dominate. The strength and the emotional support it would provide would be profound. I am not crazy. This is true. And this is exactly what the church does. I, I, I want to put yourself in my shoes. You know one of my favorite things that I get to watch this church do? Watch the little kids sing songs. I remember um, Ben Onorecker, I, I, I'm picking on him a little bit. He's not in here right now, but I'm not picking on him. I'm celebrating him. We were singing a song, and I can't recall the song, but when we went to the confession of sin, he continued singing. And all you could hear was him continue to sing. Do you know how encouraging that is to me? Like, the, like I believe, like you, I believe in the Lord Jesus that I have the forgiveness of sins and that he's risen from the grave. But when I hear little children sing the songs of the faith, it emboldens me and it supports me emotionally. I love it to hear this, the faith being passed on and to hear their small little faith being professed. I need to hear that and so do you. I, I love hearing us sing in this church. You know, I'm not going to be critical of loud churches, but I love that we intentionally keep our music low so that I can hear the voices of the church singing profoundly, how great is our God. I love it. And my friends, it's so important to hear each other's faith proclaimed out loud. And we get to see that. 
because we need to be emotionally supported in our work. But we don't just need to be supported physically and emotionally. We need to be supported spiritually. Paul says to these churches when he comes back, he says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The Christian faith, my friends, is a spiritual battle. And in this battle, there will be many trials and tribulations. Not only there might be physical tribulations, but there are certainly spiritual ones as well. For this time, the Lord and his providence has not provided the physical strifes that many churches across the world experience for our faith. But my friends, many of you experience the spiritual battles presently. We experience what Paul says in Ephesians 6, that we do wrestle against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The spiritual trials and tribulations are faced each and every day. We wrestle, we fight, and this is exhausting. And we need the support of the church in the midst of this great battle. And that's why Paul's encouraging this church in the midst of this battle to endure the tribulation so that they might enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said similar words to his disciples. I have told you these things that in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It is easy for us to believe that the tribulations and the trials that we face are the very things that lead us away from the faith. And indeed it can But when we hear the words of Paul, especially to the church in Ephesus, trying to strengthen and encourage him, when he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We need to hear that from one another all the time. We need to hear that the battles that you're facing are nothing compared to the power of God. We need to be reminded of this, that even if we are physically hurt for our faith, God is greater. We need the spiritual support of the church. And this is what we do each and every week. My friends, think yourself not strong enough to face the spiritual battles of your life on your own. The spiritual forces of this world are far greater and stronger than you. Think not you can do it on your own. I mean, there's a prevailing trend in the the United States church, this this individualistic world that we live in that says, yeah, I can do it on my own. I don't need to go to church. Ha, are you crazy? You can't do it on your own. There is no such thing as pillow-side prayers or bedside Baptist. You need each other. And you need the encouragement, the spiritual encouragement that comes from the church. Friends, you need the support of the church. You cannot do it on your own. You need the physical support, the emotional support, and the spiritual support. So we need the support of the church. That's why we bother with church. But secondly, we need the protection that the church provides. Paul spent a lot of time not only supporting and encouraging the churches that he established in these three cities, but we also read in verse 23 that he appointed elders in every church that he went. And then he prayed and fasted for them and anointed them as elders. 
Now, for those of you that are not churchy people, this word elder might be an unfamiliar word to you. And the question is, what is an elder? The word comes from the Greek word presbyteros. It's where we get the word Presbyterian. Presbyterian is just a word for elder. Elders are someone who had been appointed by God according to the requirements laid out in Scripture, primarily in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. And these individuals provide strength, encouragement, but especially protection for the church. Listen to what Paul says to Titus, one of his fellow disciples, in Titus 1.9. He says, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So here we have it. Elders provide instruction and protection from the church. Now I can think of two ways that are really helpful for you to, to understand where, where elders provide protection. And the first way that the elders provide protection is that elders provide protection from people inside the church. Elders provide protection for, for the church and inside the church. In the first century church, there was a great debate that broke out. And it was this Jewish-Gentile distinction. And the people who said the Gentiles must conform to the old Judaic laws, they were causing all sorts of problems. I mean, we see that in, in our Acts 14. I mean, the Jews who listened to Paul, one of the reasons why they would go to the different cities where he was is because they were like, this guy is attacking Judaism, and we need to kill him and shut him up. And, and, and they actually had a way with some of the people in the church so that the church was like, yeah, what about Jewish laws, Paul? We need to put these Gentiles who are now part of our work, we need to circumcise them. And so you have a whole book of the Bible, Galatians, around this idea that, that you need to be circumcised. So Paul is like, we need to protect ourselves from this. And listen to what he writes. Right after he wrote what he wrote in Titus 1.9, listen to what he writes in Titus 1.10. He says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. He's talking about people in the church. And he says, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And he goes on to say, this testimony is true. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the faith. Elders are there to protect you from people inside the church who want to twist what is true and what is right and what is good. My friends, I don't need to tell you that the church can be a difficult place, do I? Many of us have listened to the rise and the fall of Mars Hill. And many of us have had like nervous tics listening to it because of our own past church experiences the harmful nature of the church. The church needs protection from itself. And this is what the elders are given to the church for. Now there's all sorts of ways that we, we, we need to think through how does the church protect itself. And, and there's different th like philosophies as a church, and I'm not gonna go into this. But at this church, we practice the plurality of elders. That there's not one person calling all the shots. And if there's one person calling the shots, the other elders that are, that are appointed and nominated, they can actually be like, whoa, 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 calm it down. And there's beautiful um, legislation, if, if you will, to protect the church from that. 
It's one of the reasons why I love this denomination so much because it provides the protection that you need and that the church needs to protect it from, from false teaching because this is what elders do. This is what Paul did, electing elders and nominating and putting them in place so that the church is protected from the church. But the church doesn't need just protection from people inside the church. The church needs to protect from that outside the church. We all understand the temptation that the world provides for the church. The ways of the world are antithetical to the ways of Jesus and his kingdom. The world says you get what you deserve, but Jesus says you get what he deserved. The world says the way to the top is through fame and fortune, but the way of Jesus says the way to the top is through service and humility. The last shall be first. The world says those who have accomplished the most are the ones who are talked about the most, are the most to be glorified. People like the Kardashians, the Trumps, or the Obamas, they are the ones to be lauded, but this is not the way of Jesus. Jesus lauds those who are humble. The temptation of the world is ever before us, greeting us at each moment of our day. And it's a great temptation for everyone in the church. But the elders are given to protect the church. The way of the world leads to death. But the way of the cross leads to life. My friends, I wish I had a nickel for every time personally that I was tempted to fall for the way of the world as a pastor. If I did, I would be a rich man. You see, every time I stand in front of you, there's this temptation to be famous, to have my sermons broadcasted all over the internet, and then to be invited to these big conferences where thousands of people look up to me and say, teach me everything you know. It's the way of the world. That my life somehow matters more because more people are listening to the things that I have to say. I fall for this temptation all the time. But I have been blessed by the elders of the churches, the people that I'm accountable to, to say that is not the way. That is not the way. It is through humility and service to our great king where you will be elevated. It doesn't matter the number of people that are before you. That is the way of the world, and that leads to death. I'm grateful for the church in providing avenues to, to keep me accountable for these things, and you should be too. For the elders who create the systems and the organization that keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That is what the elders do. They protect you from the ways of this world. Um, there's a book that Philip Yancey wrote which inspired the title of this sermon, Church, Why Bother? Yancey grew up in a fundamentalist church that pushed for segregation and was very legalistic. He couldn't dance, he couldn't smoke, he couldn't drink, or he'd be kicked out. But as he got older, he began to question many of his beliefs of his childhood, including participating in the church. And he admits that he left the church he was so tired of its hypocrisy and of its crazy culture. It was unloving and to him unlike Jesus. But his journey went on. And one of the things that he couldn't shake was, in fact, the church. As hard as he pushed against the hypocrisy and the culture of church, he kept coming back to it. And he writes this in the book. What changed my attitude toward the church? 
A skeptic might say that I lowered my expectations somewhere along the way. Or perhaps I got used to church just as after numerous false starts, I, used to, I got used to the opera. Yet I sense something else at work. Church has filled in me a need that could not be met in any other way. St. John of the Cross wrote, the virtuous soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter. Yancey says, I believe he's right. Christianity is not purely intellectual, internal faith. It can only be lived in community. Perhaps for this reason, I've never entirely given up on the church. At deep level, I sense that a church contains something I desperately need. That whenever I abandon church for a time, I find I am the one who suffers. My faith fades, and the crusty shell of lovelessness grows over me again. I grow colder rather than hotter. And so my journey away from the church have always circled back inside. Friends, the question for you is why bother with church? Why bother with the hassle? Because without it, your faith will fade. It will grow cold. And the crusty shell of loveliness will grow over you. You need the support of the church physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And you need its protection from people inside the church and from people outside the church. Let's bother with church. Despite its mess, let's do that. Let me pray. Oh Lord, we give thanks to you for the church. I think many of us could spend a long time criticizing the church, but a long time giving thanks to you for the many ways that you have met them in the church. So many of us in here are grateful for, the, for the, the crummy sermons that actually sink down deep in our hearts, for the poor uh, singing that is often heard. We are thankful for this because indeed, O oh Lord, it warms us and reminds us of your great love. O oh Lord, would you continue to be with this church as we grow in our dependence on you, as we demonstrate your love to many others, especially those in the church. May we grow warmer and warmer, and may the world even grow warm from the love we have for one another and for them. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.